0: Hello and welcome to another episode of A Wee Bit Of Everything with your hosts, Lewis and Clark. This week, we're delighted to welcome another guest on to the show. As always, if you see it on Instagram, at a wee bit of everything podcast, or Twitter at Burrow underscore mister, or at Cleland Lewis 94 we would be awfully grateful if you could give us a like, a retweet, or a share, as this helps us get the podcast out there so that others can listen to it as well. Another guest on this week, Mr. Burrow, joining us all the way from America. That's two in a row, actually, we've had on from America. Do you want to do the honours and introduce tonight's guest?
1: I would love to. Here we go, two in a row. Uh, Tonight we're welcoming Paul Wright, uh, who currently works at Northern Illinois University in America, as Lou said. He works within the Department of Kinesiology and Physical Education. He's also completed his PhD on Teaching Personal and Social Responsibility at the University of Illinois in Chicago. He's completed this in the Department um, of Education Curriculum and Instruction. Paul's research interests are specialised in teaching personal and social responsibility instructional model. His scholarship is applied and relates directly to the fields such as positive youth development, social and emotional learning and sport for development. Paul also has interests in policy and programme evaluation as it relates to youth sport and physical activity. So I think we should get Paul onto the show to see what he's got to say about TPSR. Right, welcome to a wee bit of everything, Paul. How are you doing?
2: Doing good. I'm here here close to Chicago, so we're braving the uh, the cold and the snow, but doing all right.
1: Yeah, it sounds as if you've got the snow a bit worse than us when you're showing us off camera there, eh, off eh, recording. sounds as if you've got it worse than us.
2: Yeah, yeah, so, so it's, we're like a bunch of foxes in our burrow here a Den. You know, it's all snowy outside and we're cooped up in the house, but... Uh, i got a family of five here with a uh, wife and three kids, and we keep each other entertained and try yeah. to keep positive. Yep, Brilliant.
1: That's it. Well, thanks for joining us today to share your experience on uh, teaching personal and social responsibility through sure. physical education. So thanks for giving up your time. Um, before we get into the main section of the, the podcast, could you give us and the listeners a little background information on your career to date?
2: Yeah, so I'll, um, I'll go back to the, to the beginnings, but just, just briefly, uh, just to give you a sense of how I got into all this. Um, so my at a university for my undergrad, I actually studied biology. And, uh, then after that I worked in a biochemistry lab. So I was doing very different kinds of work, uh, in, uh, my early university education, but, uh, does and mean, I had an interest. Does that mean you're Joe
1: qualified then? Sorry. Pardon me? Does that mean you're Joe qualified then? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: and so I, I'd been working in, uh, you know, the sciences and I really did like research, but I didn't see myself working in a lab my whole life. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, but I always had, since I was a kid, been passionate about martial arts. I've done that, you know, my whole life. And so I started thinking, you know, I, I'm not sure what path I want to go down, but I know that I love doing martial arts. I've, I've enjoyed all the teaching experience I had with it. And, uh, and I like doing research. So I started thinking, well, maybe there's a, a place where I can put all of that together. So I started calling my, my alma mater, University of Illinois at Chicago, and asking around, checking out different departments. And I stumbled on kinesiology. So anyway, I, I got in touch with folks at the Department of Kinesiology because it seemed like that might be a place where I could put these interests together. And got to know Don Hellison, who I didn't know anything about him before, this kind of work but it just seemed like a really good fit. You know, he was talking about teaching values through sport, developing life skills, things that were always built into the martial arts approach. Um, He was teaching martial arts programs to kids in the inner city and trying to meet those specific needs, which I thought was, you know, really relevant and and cool work. Uh, And it was a chance to do research too, in a different way. So, uh, so I signed up for that master's program and you know, in, in a way, the rest is history. You know, that master's turned into a Ph.D. And the farther I got into it, the more uh, TPSR specifically that teaching personal and social responsibility became my main focus. Um, so I continued working with Don through all that. He was my main advisor and mentor through all my, my graduate schooling. And then I got my Ph.D. and my first job uh, out of that was at Memphis, University of Memphis in Tennessee. And I was there for about nine years and then was hired uh, to work here at Northern Illinois University. And I've been here for 10 years now. And the TPSR and that engaged scholarship uh, has, has remained central to what I do. I guess the things that I've sort of expanded out to include over the years at NIU especially has been more international work. You know, like I, was, I came to work at Edinburgh with, with Shirley Gray uh, in 2016 for a sabbatical. few years before that I'd been in Spain for a sabbatical and uh, I've just really enjoyed as as the interest in TPSR is growing internationally it's given me a lot of chances to meet people and travel and collaborate Um, and now social and emotional learning has really become a big push in in physical education in general and that aligns so much with TPSR that um, it's just been great I'm finding a lot of a lot of opportunities to collaborate meet people uh, you know informed connections around this work that's really been my passion from the beginning
1: mm-hmm. well we'll touch on you but thanks for thanks for that very much there um, we'll talk to you about on TPSR in the next question um, and <laughs> a, a wee bit about Shirley Gray because we went to a, a seminar with Shirley um, and she went through the the principles of TPSR see, see when you're talking about martial arts where you learn the life skills of respect and resilience and stuff like that. Would you say that's the, the purpose for PE? Would you say that's the main goal is to teach your life skills?
2: Well, like I said, I mean, for, for me, I, I was sort of an outsider to the field of physical education. I hadn't, you know, that, that wasn't what i had studied or trained to be. I wasn't a PE teacher in the schools. So I came to it from the martial arts where that was the main point. You know, the, the focus was um, holistic development, you know, body, mind and spirit, Developing character, talking explicitly about those things, um, so where it's it's um, been viewed as innovative and alternative for the last several decades in PE, the stuff Don was doing, it was really natural for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, but that so that's at the heart of what TPSR is all about is is teaching life skills and um, using the physical activity as a vehicle to teach skills that kids can transfer and use. The front kick or the overhand smash or whatever physical activity you're doing, but with his approach, the ideas that you're, you're bringing to the forefront, these other skills that that requires, you know, interacting respectfully with other people and being self-motivated and making good choices and trying to help others. Um, those are all things you can be doing with that physical activity, but we try to really shine a light on the idea that that's relevant in the classroom and outside and at home and in the future when you've got a job that, that can help you in all those spaces.
0: What is the, see, is martial arts big over in the States and schools? I know they're really big on wrestling. I don't know if that's just at college level, but um, I don't, I feel like martial arts isn't awfully big in schools in, in Scotland. Which not I think not is, in the, I think the schools. Um,
2: wrestling, like I had wrestled myself in high school. Um, and, and within the school curriculum, that's you're right wrestling is about the most common combative sport Mm -hmm. um what i've done has been more asian martial arts like you know kung fu tai chi karate things like that Mm -hmm. uh, on my own now what you do get in the school curriculum some especially at the high school middle and high school level is they'll do self-defense units sometimes where they'll teach uh tactics and and techniques from the asian martial arts Mm -hmm. but yeah as far as the competitive sport it's it's really um wrestling is the one that's made it into the schools
0: yeah i'd like to see more of it in like scottish schools i think there's just so much that you can i think it would um a lot of the students would engage with it like a certain type of student Mm -hmm. would engage with that because i don't think they offer it enough and i think that could be a potential solution to getting some young people engaged in exercise and physical activity
2: well that's one that's one thing that um that i've encountered you know because that's where my you know, in terms of physical activities and sports, that's my my specialty. So, when I've run programs a lot, even through physical education programs, um, I'll introduce the tai chi or martial arts, uh, self defense techniques, and it's interesting because it levels the playing field. You know, because you you tend to have in a PE class, you've you've got some kids have already identified or self selected as the athletes, the jocks. You know, these are the kids that are really confident because they're the best. You know, whatever footballers or basketball players. And then there are kids, you know, that are just don't see themselves that way. But when you introduce completely novel content that requires maybe more balance, more coordination, more grace, more flexibility, all of a sudden kids that didn't see themselves as very athletic or, you know, they would sort of shy away to the the, the perimeter in PE um, might be really successful. And the kid that's really, you know, good in other sports, big athletic guy might really struggle to maintain his balance. And, you know, it's a little bit humbling. So like I said, it it can be interesting because I think it's engaging. It introduces great chances for partner work. And, and also, like I said, it's, it's a novel activity for everybody. So it disrupts some of those sort of habits and roles people have settled into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I
1: think Lewis is spot on. Um, we should have more of it in schools. That, like, I'd imagine it, it would help teach the TPSR as well, and the kind of life skills within that. Uh, yeah, over and above the kind of self defense as well.
2: Yeah, and and I I'd, I'd branch out uh, even a little more those same points uh, of what I see a lot of PE teachers doing nowadays, especially as there's a growing interest in social and emotional learning more broadly and mindfulness, um, uh, things like yoga. And, and meditation can also be integrated, uh, especially in wellness classes. In the U.S., we, t- we tend to have, for our first year of high school, uh, so it'd be sort of like your S3s or something like that, um, that or S4s, I'm not sure with all the Ss. Uh, but anyway, the, they uh, would be kids about 14, 15 years old, very often their first year of high school in PE, they focus on a wellness class that'll introduce physical fitness, but it also hits on other topics, it merges a bit with uh, health education and overall wellness. A lot of people are integrating more things like yoga and alternative physical activities and meditation in there as well.
1: Yes, I suppose you have to take care of that That's the well-being side of it as well, um, over and above the skills Yeah. In PE. Um, so could you maybe then elaborate, Paul, a bit further on the, the aspirations and the principles behind high quality TPSR in action within PE?
2: Yeah, so, sure, I, I think most anybody, if they, if they attend even one workshop or read one article about TPSR, they'll learn about these, um, they're often called levels or goals of TPSR, which are things like respecting the rights and feelings of others, um, self-direction, effort and participation, uh, caring for others so that'd be like leadership and helping. So the the distinction I make for really high quality TPSR is some of those things are are common to any, any teacher's behavior management approach, right? If, if kids aren't under control, if kids aren't being respectful of each other, those are issues you've got to deal with. If kids aren't motivated, if not participating or engaging, you've got to deal with that. Um, the, the nice thing, I, one really great thing I think about TPSR is that it doesn't settle for getting kids to just be under control and compliant and participating. That's the foundation, that's the floor we're, we're shooting for however, whether that takes a week or, or six months, when you get kids to that point, then we start to add on higher levels of responsibility. And that's where like self direction would come in, where you're letting kids make decisions, you're letting kids make individual choices or group decisions. Um, they're working on goal setting, um, and working independently. So they're really developing higher level responsibilities. Um, and on the social side, that that's after you've got a respectful climate and sort of the social norms are all established, uh, then you really want to start shifting power to kids, giving them chances to help each other, to do peer coaching, um, to give feedback to one another, talking to them about how to encourage and support others, um, giving them leadership roles, which can start as easy as letting kids come to the front of the room to lead warm-ups. right? Any 10 year old can get out there and pick um, you know, do do pushups and or it, what is it? Uh, star jumps, right? We call yeah. them jumping jacks. You call them star jumps or something. Yeah. Um, any 10 year old can get out to the front of the room and pick three different exercises and take the group through it. So we want to start building on that and shifting more power and responsibility to kids. And, and this is where I think really quality TPSR starts to become different. The teacher's always looking for ways to Shift more power and more responsibility to the kids as much as they're able to handle. So we don't stop when okay, nobody's uh, you know causing trouble anymore, nobody's talking back or fighting with each other. Now I can go ahead and teach in a, in a you know command style. Uh, your goal is actually to always become a facilitator of learning, give the kids more power in decision making in their own learning, um, and create a more social environment where it really they have more ownership in the program itself and in their own learning. Um, so that empowerment-based focus is one of the strongest themes. You know, instead of just looking at the levels and putting up a poster saying, these are the class values, that's fine. But to really bring it into action, I need to see a teacher giving kids roles, shifting power and decision-making to them. Uh, and then the to pull it all together in the end, you want to be explicit about that idea of transfer. So instead of just giving kids chances to help each other, you actually talk about the importance of caring and helping other people. You get them to debrief and talk about how that's going in this class, why it's important here, and then challenge them to think, where else can you do that in life? What's another place where you could use these same skills Mm -hmm. to help others? You know, and with the littlest kids, you might be talking about things as simple as helping with chores at home or helping my little brother do his homework. But as kids get older and they're ready to have deeper conversations, you could be talking about, you know, uh, social responsibility because it could be as big as the issues we have around uh, COVID and wearing masks, thinking about the well-being of others, right? Not just yourself. Or, unfortunately, we're we're dealing so badly with race in the United States um, that that's really come to a head. You know, Black Lives Matters and equity issues are at the forefront kids are well aware of that. If you're talking about teenagers, you know, they know what's going on. Um, And if we're real, if we really want to have conversations about life skills that we're practicing in the gym that are important outside, we've got so many examples. Mm -hmm. Um, So that idea of talking about transfer, creating space to discuss these things explicitly and debrief and have kids reflect, that's where TPSR really starts to differentiate from typical PE we're we're being explicit about these skills we're actually carving out time to reflect and debrief with kids on them um and we shift the power to them to actually practice these skills you know you don't get better at any psychomotor skill just because somebody put a poster on the wall
1: you get better
2: at it because you have time to practice you do repetitions you try it and you do well you get you know you get coaching either way, right? If you screw up, the teacher tells you how you can do better the next time. So any other skill, PE teachers know that kids can only get better at it by letting them practice. So how else are they gonna learn about goal setting or leadership or helping others or decision-making if we don't give them chances in the program to make choices, to help to be in charge of a group, um, and, and so on and so forth. so that's 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 kind of of what I focus on lots of really good PE teachers manage their classes very well and they create a positive climate but they might stop short of really emphasizing empowerment reflection Mm -hmm. and transfer
0: yeah I think it's just like what you said a lot of like I can I could say that like not maybe not every single one of those principles with every single one in my class but like certainly looking at a few of them um I could say that I I probably do do some of that with my classes, but like you say, it's about making it super explicit with them and really giving them the opportunity to practice like those leadership skills because that's ultimately the only way that they're going to get better at it. So I like that kind of way of looking at it. I've never really thought of it like that, like practicing their leadership skills, like, a, like practicing a, a specific sport-related skill.
2: Right, because that's what you would do with any sport-specific skill. You'd, you'd, start, you'd set your intention at the beginning of the day. Yeah. You tell the kids, these are, are, what do you guys call them? SLOs, you know, your learning objectives for the mm-hmm. day. Here's yeah. what we're going to work on. Here's here's what the correct performance looks like. We're going to do a lot of practice, and I'm going to give you feedback based on the critical elements, and at the end of the day, we'll debrief to pull it together and see how we're doing.
0: Yeah, you can just focus see, them on leadership objectives and things like that as well, though. Just yeah,
2: So, and, like... and it's not either or. You just integrate it. You say, and at the same time we're doing this, our social-emotional learning outcome for the day is going to be leadership or positive communication. So while you're working on this skill, I'm going to have you guys working in pairs and you're going to take turns watching each other and giving feedback. So that means everybody's got to be able to give feedback in a positive, constructive way and receive feedback in a positive and constructive way and stay on task with your partner. You you basically sketched out your affective objectives for the day. So this is, to me, one of the key things when I, when I consult or coach you know, PE teachers on TPSR. They already have this mindset and all of the skills because they do it. They live it and breathe it with the psychomotor stuff. But it's just getting them to say, just look at the affective the same way. Look at it as a skill. How would you introduce and help a kid get better at any other skill? Go through those same steps because you already know that so well.
0: I just had such a light bulb moment there. Like, that's just clicked for me. So they see the social? Just like, the. I've never even thought of it like that, though, Clark. Sorry for interrupting there. But see, I'd normally plan my, like, learning intention and my success criteria looking at physical skills, so what I should be able to observe them doing, like, to develop their performance or whatever, and then have maybe one where they need to demonstrate an understanding, like, describing a concept or something like that. Whereas, mm. thinking of it like having a social and emotional outcome, so, like, yeah. actually having that as one of your success criteria, you'll be able to lead your partner or something like that, you know? I yeah, that's, that a, would, that, that's a good
1: way of looking at it, because I would look at the, the personal qualities, benchmark, yeah. section. It's a good uh, way of assessing
0: it, isn't it? Aye.
1: Definitely, you can meet your success criteria up as well. But it sounds as if um, you have to have that respectful climate uh, and the social norms sort of shared between yourself and the class first, I would say, because I'm thinking of some of my classes, Paul, and you know, you couldn't go straight into giving them empowerment and ownership before you've got that respectful climate first. Um, whereas some classes, I could probably give them more of a sport education model, which I believe is probably similar to TPSR.
2: Yeah, well, I think as far as that goes, one of the one of the tricky things, you know, but all good teachers are doing this already. You have to be flexible in how you implement something, right? You've, you've got to be able to, to individualize it to mm-hmm. the kids because – you know, if just like the psychomotor skills, you've got some kids that you introduce a sport, they already know this sport. They're as good or better than you are actually, right? So what do you tend to do? You give those kids more leadership roles or maybe lean on them to help other kids that need the help. Um, and, and it's the same, it's the same in math class, right? When, when a teacher introduces the uh, Pythagorean theorem, some kids get it right away. They're done. Some kids really need the extra help. They don't even have the, the basic algebra underneath it to figure this out. Um, so the same thing with social and emotional skills. If you think of them as skills, every kid has a different profile in terms of what they're ready to do and what they need. So in a class of 25 kids, you've got some that are always respectful, always focused, always you know, ready to contribute. You don't wanna hold them back because some other kids are working on controlling their temper and their mouth and, you know, uh, other issues. What you need to do is figure out, okay, I've I've got to differentiate to the various levels in the class. Kids who are ready for leadership roles and helping, why not shift that to them? No, not everybody is, but that's, you only need a few leaders at a time. Mm -hmm. But start challenging their level, meet them where they're at and challenge them for their next step. Well, at the same time, that might free you up to do some more command style or one-on-one instruction with the kids that still are having outbursts or causing distractions. They really still need support to figure out, you know, respect and responsibility, controlling their mouth and their temper. So if you try to do one size fits all like any other skill Mm -hmm. in any other subject, uh, you try to teach to the middle and you catch a few kids, but you've got kids on, on, on the other ends that aren't getting what they need.
1: Got you. Yeah. So see over and above re- reflecting and, and debriefing about the key life skills that they can transfer into other, other parts of the school or in life. Have you got any other practices that you use within TPSR over and above that?
2: Could, could you give me that again, a little, but a little bit louder? I'm having a hard time again with hearing you.
1: Yep. So in terms of tasks that we can set with our class, like you spoke about reflecting and debriefing um, some of the key skills that they've been developing within the class that they can transfer. Is there any other uh, tasks that you can use with your class over and above that?
2: Okay. Yeah, so, you know, one thing I'd say, and this is especially true in the U.S., but I think it could uh, be relevant to you guys, too. uh, You know, it's not part of the culture of PE to give much writing or to have kids do assignments outside of class, like homework. Um, But that's a lever that we, we can go to, right? I mean, you could have kids maybe it's just once a week, but what if you had kids do a reflection on their motivation, how they, how they assess their behavior in class, how they think they're doing with it, um, what, what they, their opinions on the, the class, what's going well, what could be improved, giving them a chance for some voice in the program. Um, you know, in, in TPSR programs, the way Don ran them, they were usually after school programs with 10 or 12 kids. So you can make it really democratic and sit everybody around in a circle and actually go around and have everybody share their opinions or engage in some reflection and, you know, self-reflection. It's hard to do if you've got 25 or 30 kids or more. I know that. So that's where having them keep a journal just periodically, maybe a weekly journal. Um, If you've had a theme, like let's go back to a specific sports skill where you're building in communication into this unit. And that's been a big highlight going along with that could be to self-assess their communication skills. You know, how have they been doing this with this in your PE class? Um, Can they think of any other places outside of PE where they need these same skills? And give some examples of something that happened this week where you could have done a better job or something this week where you did a really good job. So just that idea, depending on how many kids you've got, you, you can't always have everybody go around one by one. But don't let that tie your hands. You know, you can give that periodic writing assignment. And I always encourage teachers to remember, you know, physical activity is part of PE. It's not the only thing we're doing. So if if even in class, if you take 15 minutes out once a week for kids to write in a journal or do a self-assessment or something like that, you know, some teachers get freaked out because we've brainwashed them that you've got to have kids moving all the time and be an MVPA. But personal and social responsibility, social emotional learning, this is part of the curriculum too. So it's completely fine sometimes to stop the activity, have kids sit down and either to think about, talk about, or write about these skills. Um, I really like the idea, whatever format works for you to do that. I like the idea of being really concrete. Hopefully you've introduced the skill, you've let kids practice it, and now you're using this reflection space to have them Assess how they've been doing it with it in the class and then also push for transfer and get them to think how could this be useful or where could you use this in another part of your life?
1: That's really good. I really like that. Um, it makes it more holistic, as you said, Lewis. I think that would be good for PGE classes like S1, S2, and S3 because it would link in really well with the National Five where they mm. need to reflect on training yeah. sessions and stuff like that as well. Yeah. So even if even
0: if it's just for a unit, like it's not as if you need to do it for a full year where they really fill it out. It could just be for like one activity no. block. No, just you want, can get them uh, to do it block, so they're yeah. at least getting a, a flavour of it and practising that reflection and um, developing those yeah. skills.
1: Well, no, cause I think it, Paul's right because you said it's always about movement, like that culture, where but sometimes just sitting down and reflecting and taking a note of it might prove beneficial for them.
2: Yeah, and I think... Um, you know, having worked with Shirley Gray uh, on my sabbatical, you know, we, we did a lot of deep dives into the curriculum, you know, the, the, the curriculum for excellence, the benchmarks, the, the different assessments and all this. And these things are all over the curriculum. I mean, they're, they're baked into it, right? You know, teamwork and self-esteem and all these, all these wonderful skills are named as part of the description of PE or what PE should be doing, right? They're already in there. But a lot of times, as part of my research, when I would talk to PE teachers and ask, so can you give me an example of how do you teach that? It would generally be just in really loose, generic, organic ways. Like they just assumed, they fall into that, that age-old trap of assuming sport builds character. Well, we're, we're doing team sports, so they're developing teamwork. You know, but, but they're not teaching it explicitly and actively. They don't tend to talk about it as part of their content. Mm. You know, whereas if you ask the same PE teachers, how do you promote physical fitness? For one thing, what does it consist of? What are activities that help kids develop it? And how do you assess it? Everybody can give a really clean answer for that. That's really well-defined. But when you get to this stuff, um, it tends to be very ill-defined, and just sort of left How to osmosis. What was thinking?
0: It's more difficult to assess it, and especially when you've got larger classes as well. Like looking at those softer skills, like it's hard to. It's it's quite a difficult task that you've got. And then it, I suppose, it does help if you're getting them to do a bit of self-reflection as part of their assessment, almost. Mm-hmm. Than mm-hmm. you.
2: Well, and the thing is, I, I I I think that assessment is really key. If you if you focus on a really discrete skill or theme at a time, just like you would with, you know, some people, I'm not very good at basketball. If somebody showed me, you know, how to do the jump shot, I'd say, "Well, that's magic. That's too complicated. How could you possibly teach someone how to do that? You know, but PE teachers do it all the time. You break it down to four or five critical elements. You show them what it looks like. You have them practice the different pieces. And you give feedback as they work on it, Right. So at the the beginning of the day, you know, if you say, this is what I want everybody to do in terms of communication, you know, teach them the the positive negative sandwich, right? Say something positive the person is doing, identify one of the things they could be doing better, and then come back to something positive. You can assess that. (laughs) You can be floating around as a teacher while the kids are all interacting Just the same way you're sizing up, how are they doing with the jump shot or the the chest pass or whatever it is, you do it the exact same way. You've set a clear expectation, you've made it explicit, you've given criteria, and now you're giving them time to practice. And as you circulate and facilitate, if you hear somebody making fun of somebody else or putting them down or being too critical or negative, you coach them on those critical elements you gave. So like I said, I, I go back to that light bulb you mentioned before. W- when you run into part of this that seems like, oh, but you can't assess the soft skills, that, that's, an, that's an urban myth, I think that, we, that we've used a lot for a long time to let ourselves off the hook. Mm. Um, if it's content and you're responsible for it, you know give it a little more thought, look at it with fresh eyes. And, and I think you'll find you already are so good <laughs> at introducing an objective, building a lesson around it, giving feedback on it, and assessing kids' progress. If you make these skills concrete, you, you, you bring all that same approach to bear, and, it, and it's, it's doable.
1: Mm-hmm. You, could always, you could always be doing it within the practical sense as well, like when they're developing a skill, like the jump shot, and giving feedback yeah.
2: to each other. And the, and the sweet spot is uh, none of these things are um, competing with each other. Right, You've got cognitive goals for the day. You do want them to know what the critical elements are, right? Mm. So when you have them practicing, now you've added this peer coaching just on this one example. So you're hitting cognitive, affective, and psychomotor objectives all together.
0: They understand
2: the skills better because they're having to analyze and put them into words and give feedback. While they're doing that and practicing the skill, they're learning how to work with another partner and, and cooperate. You know, so you don't turn one of these things off to work on the other ones. When you find ways to really integrate them, I think that's where we see the benefit for engagement, motivation, and genuinely better learning.
1: Mm -hmm. See, see you you touched on the behavior management. See, See if you've got a class that are crazy and they don't behave, would you recommend TPSR to try and get them to a level that's respectful first?
2: Yeah, well, what I would do is, you know, again, thinking in terms of differentiated instruction and fitting the group's needs and where they're at, Um, yeah, TPSR, absolutely, that's how, when Don Hellison started doing this work, he was specifically working with really challenging kids from hard backgrounds uh, that that were struggling with behavior and delinquency and all those sort of what they used to call at-risk, you know, factors. Um, so this, this was born out of working with kids that really were struggling with those fundamentals of just respectful behavior and participation. Um, and that's what I would say is that if that's what the group overall needs, that's what you start with. Um, because I, I think almost in every case you're going to find out of that group, that's a real tough group. You're always going to have a few kids that that's, they're, they're really ready to participate and to engage. But if the class is chaos, they're not getting any benefits out of this either. So that's where you might start to lean on some leadership structures. You know, select the few kids that are ready for that to help out with leading and guiding kids that might be in the middle. Well, you might be working with kids that really still need direct instruction and are trying to figure out appropriate behaviors. Um, so you can start, it's not a one size fits all. You can start building that into the culture of it Your group overall might be focusing on respect and participation, you know, and you stay there as long as you need to. It might be two weeks or two years, but if that's what they need, that's what you stay on. Um, And as individuals and hopefully as the, the center, the critical mass of the group gets to the point where they can handle more independence and other opportunities, you share that with those that are able to.
1: Yeah, I think you're spot on because I think we need to lean on these models to help us differentiate it. Because sometimes if you're just out of university, you're then just trying to teach you the class with one lesson um, and you're directing it all. But I think leaning on these sport education models and TPSR and giving them responsibility then allows you to then go and work with, with the kids yeah. who need, need the direct instruction. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah,
0: it's it's, something, aye, it's like it's, it's an absolutely brilliant way of looking at it because it know. it's like you say, it just makes you obviously a facilitator and if you've got those pupils that are proving a bit of a handful then it it frees you up to give them the attention that they obviously need because they're causing all those issues then you can give them your full attention and let the others get on with it meanwhile you're giving the more able um, pupils the the ability to lead.
2: Yeah but it is you know you do need some you know some coaching and, and I think important advice is to start small because we're You know, when we've had teachers that have tried this and said, you know, oh, this doesn't work, you know, it's not realistic, it's often because they they thought, okay, they say give kids leadership roles and give kids power and give kids decision making, so they basically just hand over the reins, right? Well, if the kids aren't ready for that, it is going to be chaos. Um, I think a really good guideline is give them as much responsibility as they can handle. And, and what they can handle really is different, and it could even change day to day, right? I mean, you have some kids that really, you know, are dealing with trauma and hard, hard situations or just maturity. Uh, they might be right with you one day, you know, and doing really well and ready to take on a leadership role and help. And the next day, you don't know what's going on at home, but they come in and they're a mess, right? They're off the wall. They're being disruptive, disrespectful. So even kid by kid, it can go back and forth but again good teachers know how to do this already it's just about making it more explicit Mm. you know with 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 what they're able to handle in terms of responsibility you just need to try to always read where they're at meet them where they're at give them what they need and then always keep looking to pull them up
1: like that read where they're at and meet them where they're
0: at Right. right then um Paul, in terms of the, the current climate with online learning, I take it, are you guys still very much virtual as well? Or,
2: Yeah, the majority are, of uh, schools are in a hybrid situation, you know, where the kids might limbic. come in a couple times a week, Yeah. Um, but, but but almost all schools have at least a virtual component if they're not entirely virtual. Like Chicago Public Schools, the biggest district here is still 100% virtual, Remote. and a lot of the other districts around are hybrid.
0: I suppose that um, makes this question relevant then. So if, if everyone or the majority are like kind of remote or that, a kind of blended hybrid model, have you seen the, the kind of TPSR model being carried out virtually with pupils? Have you got any examples of that happening? Or
2: Yeah, yes, um, several. One, one of the things that a lot of the teachers I work with are doing is, um, in a way, it's it's highlighted the the potential and relevance of TPSR because a lot of the stuff teachers are used to doing has been stripped away. Um, And for example, if, if content wise, you have to have kids doing a lot of stuff on their own independently, that's self-direction, right? I mean, it actually is a great opportunity to say, Hey, this isn't normally what we would have been doing this term, but as it is, you know, what we're really going to highlight is I can't, Coach you on perfect skill, you know, with with whatever techniques we're working on. But I'm really going to challenge you guys to come up with your own exercise plan or your own training plan to do some self assessment of where your skills are at and what you need to work on. And that's what I'm really challenging you guys to spend your time on. And that's what you're going to report to me. And that's what I'm going to assess is to come up with your own goals, to monitor your own progress. And those are real life skills, anyway, right? I mean, sure, we'd all love to be coming together five days a week in the the fitness room. But right now we can't. But what I'm really going to challenge you to do is to figure out how to motivate yourself and maybe do do some journal writing on what's hard about motivating yourself when there's no structure, when you don't have that benefit of having somebody to exercise with. What works for you? Is it doing it along with videos? Are you in a family where you could be doing exercise with family members and you kind of all help each other get motivated? So examples like this, really focusing on the self-direction around physical fitness, um, self-practice with different skills, uh, integrating with the, the family to the extent they can, alternative physical activities based on what's available to you, which is different for every kid, right? Yeah. If that's sort of what we have to do anyway, but if we think about it through a TPSR lens, there are a lot of great life skills being required here. Mm-hmm. That we could be shining a light on and saying, yes, it's not ideal, but this is actually learning how to set, how to do a self-assessment, set individualized goals and monitor your own progress. This is actually something that's going to help you in all other aspects of your life. So mm-hmm. that's just one example. Um, I know a lot of teachers have been focused so much on on the uh, social and emotional well-being, you know, because kids are isolated, they're, they're missing that sense of connection. Um, so many of the teachers, even, even though they're meeting virtually, they'll, they'll do a go around where every kid, you know, they carve out the time for every kid to just say, how are you doing? How are you feeling today? What's something good that's happened this week? What's something you're grateful for? Um, they'll, they'll do these one-on-one check-ins to, to take advantage of their virtual time for some community building and a sense of connection, because that's something that kids desperately need that's been taken away from them, right? So I think a lot of the good teachers are putting more of the skill focus on the back burner. They're emphasizing things that kids can do independently and really leaning into that independent work as, as the, the, the psychomotor side of it. But they're bringing to the forefront the self-management, self-motivation, um, and every chance they get, they're trying to highlight connections and relationships because that's really what kids need.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, the remote learning certainly has given them the... Mm-hmm. Sorry, can you hear that? Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah, they, we've kind of spoke about this in like earlier podcasts as well, how the remote learning has given them that self-direction and given them responsibility for their own learning almost. And it's just kind of a different yeah. way of looking at it. So you are kind of almost subconsciously teaching it or sort of some of the principles through the remote learning anyway but I guess the challenge is just for the young people that aren't engaging <laughs> that's just the that's the, the the toughest nut to crack but like yeah. you said I like how you've kind of put that though it's it's given them the opportunity and a lot of the tasks that we're maybe giving the younger ones in our school and um, they're getting a lot of their family members involved with it and brothers sisters mums and dads and they're mm-hmm. almost kind of
2: doing that sort of empowerment side of it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, again, it's, you know, we know they need connection and relationships and engagement and it's, it's really hard for us to give it to them to foster those things in the way we're used to, you know, but yeah, if if what we can do is be really em- encouraging them to seek out connections, you know, we're, we're, we're helping them with that self-awareness of how important relationships are and how hard motivation is when you feel isolated. So we can really, I mean, I, I think that the teachers I see that I really um, think are having the best impact are the ones that just address that directly. They're they're creating space to have conversations with the kids about how hard this time is. I mean, we've got rates of depression and suicide and all kinds of mental health issues. Just they were already heartbreaking, but now they're just getting worse. Um, so like I said, the importance of having a perfect jump shot, <laughs> Or a perfect overhead smash yeah. these days is really just, you know, it's just on hold. Yeah, totally. it's, it, That's not what kids need right now. They're yeah, in I'm desperate good. need of some things that are mostly social and emotional and mental health issues. And like I said, that that was already part of what PE was supposed to be doing. That was often neglected. Well, now we're in this upside down world where th- that's become the most relevant and the, and and the thing we can do best. So. Mm-hmm a lot of teachers might be discovering this stuff and figuring out how to do it um, out of necessity, but hopefully they'll embrace that and carry it forward as part of their approach.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, C&P in Scotland, Paul, we, we get assessed when you're like 15, 16, you get assessed on performance, on your skills development. Mm-hmm. What I would love to see off the back of this from talking to you, assess the problem solving, assess of communication, and maybe assess of teamwork as well. Um, mm-hmm. and give them a mark for that, and that goes towards the final grade rather than it's just purely performance based yeah. Cause i think I think a lot of the b g e development stuff, which is s one to s three is mm-hmm. mo- is more towards personal qualities now, but then we 're not really preparing them for the assessment, so it's trying to get a balance isn't
2: it yeah, well, and I know a little bit about you know with 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 the um you know, the BGE really lends itself easily toward this stuff because there isn't that performance based focus. Mm-hmm. But one thing I, I, I started to I thought I was starting to see and working with Shirley was, you know, even for the even for the hires that kids take related to PE, teamwork and motivation, things like that are, are in there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think a big there's a and if it, just go back to normal circumstances, you know, uh, put COVID aside for a minute it seemed to me like there was a lot of missed opportunity and how, how the BGE curriculum had this opportunity to really build on things like that, like motivation and teamwork. But it was just addressed so generically that when kids went into the hires, it was like the first time they were hearing about these concepts. You know what I mean? I think the BGE could be coordinated a lot more to feed in and lay a foundation for those aspects of, of performance with the hires. Um, and in this time of COVID, the same thing could be happening, you know, to say, hey, let's really start giving some of those project-based self-analysis sorts of things, and having kids work on those, um, and we can really highlight the relevance of that in this weird time, and even for the, I mean, this is just really off the top of my head, but for the the hires, the physical performance that they need to work on, If somebody wants to use TPSR, bring in this idea of self-reflection, self-awareness, goal-setting, and um, self-direction, and have the kids doing video of themselves. You know, pick the skills they can be working on right now. And can they have mom or dad or a brother or sister video them? And they can be doing analysis on their own. They can be setting their own goals. So, of course, they can't do everything. It's not ideal circumstances. But by drawing in some of these elements from TPSR, uh, you, you could actually highlight some things they really should be working on anyway for hires and draw on some of those strategies to help them do what they can in the other areas that are instead of just neglecting them or you know shrugging your shoulders and say, well, we just can't do that right now.
1: Yeah, just trying to find a way. Thanks
2: for that. That was good. Sure, then, sure, yeah. And for everybody, the kids and the teachers right now, you just got to be nimble and pivot- <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah sure every day right to so say well what can we manage what what can we salvage or or replace this with right now
0: mm-hmm. it's just being adaptable and being as creative as possible and i think there's a it's a great community like pe teachers um on like twitter and microsoft teams and everything like everybody's really pulling together and really trying to share a lot of resources and share best practice i suppose to kind of overcome this um yeah. weird weird time
2: Yeah, I mean, and it's sort of funny, you know, me being a professor in, you know, the teacher ed program, uh, the students that are doing their clinical experiences right now, they are learning in real time, you know, they're, they're getting sent out to work with these cooperating teachers. So they're light years ahead of us. We just need to stay out of their way, you know, because this is evolving so rapidly and that sharing of strategies, like you said, it's great to see. You know, mm-hmm. and I i already felt like a dinosaur, you know, with online and virtual, you know, uh, strategies and and the gaps getting even bigger. You know, it's, it's up to me to try to catch up to our students now. I don't yeah. have anything to teach them. They're coming in with 50 new strategies a week mm-hmm. uh, that that we never thought of before. But it, well, yeah, they're, they're being a, developed in practice based on necessity.
1: Is this a student teachers, Paul? Pardon me? Is this a student teachers or the students?
2: Yeah, teacher's? yeah, exactly. Our student teachers. Mm hmm. And and because they still have to do their student teaching and and if they're assigned to a school that's all virtual, um, that's, that's what they they have to adapt to. So, you know, one of them might be going in person a few times a week, one of them never meets the kids face to face. Uh, They've all really got to rely on their cooperating teacher to support them um, and sort of fold in and and be creative and share with each other and you know, do, do what they can uh, to come as close as they can to a real teaching experience.
1: So see, so see when the schools open back up, do you think there'll be a gap in knowledge and, and a gap in experience for the students once the schools open back up? Knowledge?
2: Well, I think, I don't think it's gonna be too bad. You mean for our students, our PE majors?
1: Yeah, just PE majors,
2: yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's gonna be too bad. Even though it's not ideal, these kids had their first couple years of clinical experience and practice teaching in pretty realistic settings. Um, So they're coming to the culmination of their program and and it's, it's virtual, but it's not like they don't know how to really work on their feet in traditional situations with kids. I guess the optimistic way to look at it would be to say, this has pushed them to develop a ton of skills that normally they wouldn't have. Our program now and their early clinical experiences are virtual and stilted it's going to bounce out the other way. You know, because things are going to return to normal and by the time they're doing their the more intense clinicals and their student teaching, they will be spending more time in front of kids. So there's there's going to be a a blip in experience, but you know, the kids that major in PE have always been good on their feet and good with kids and good on a gym floor. I guess the optimistic view would be to say whether it was the front end or the back end of their training, this these couple cohorts are going to go out there with you know, a black belt in virtual and online learning if and when it's needed. And it might okay. even
0: it might even go more virtual as well. Like there might even be more of the hybrid approach like going forward. You never know, like with some classes, like who knows what it might end up like. Yeah. So I think it's going to change a lot.
2: Yeah, well, I, t- I tell you, you know, in the, in the US, we're so, um, so large. I mean, geographically and culturally, things are so different. It, a lot of our school districts across the U.S. are in rural areas where kids coming together is really an obstacle. You know, if it's, if it's a huge area of Montana or Wyoming or something, there's not enough big, there's not a big enough population to have a central school that everybody can get to, you know. Um, so there are some places where the online options, you know, it's, it's never a first choice, but it could actually be really helpful depending on, you know, a school or a district's capacity. Yeah, it could always be a backup yeah it's always there like it's, it's there it's there now isn't it like this is all right once we've learned it i mean and, and like i said i think there are some really good things that are coming out of it it's pushing teachers to really focus on the whole child in ways they didn't have to before mm-hmm. um and i hope even when things do go back to normal that teachers don't lose that insight um you know, and, and the, the virtual skills, the ability to recognize, you know, kids' social and emotional health and how important that is, um, you know, it's, uh, hopefully some of those good things will remain part of teacher's style going forward.
0: Yeah. They won't just say,
2: oh, now we can go back to, you know, drill and kill command mm-hmm. instruction where I'm more comfortable. Um, it's sort of shaking things up and some good could come from it.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think everyone's IT skills have got better, for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, definitely. Right then, Paul, TPSR, I suppose, or any, like when teachers are learning to do it, and me included as well, learning to like deliver any new type of model or change something about their practice. Um, Maybe it could seem daunting because maybe the lack of guidance or they're not really understanding or maybe it's a bit overwhelming. What kind of advice would you give? You kind of touched on it earlier about maybe starting off small but what sort of advice would you give to maybe break down these barriers so teachers could engage more with the TPSR model? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I think, well, uh, one thing I said about starting small, that's always, I think, good advice. Um, With any of these models, right, I mean, if, if somebody gets into tactical games or sport education, you know, we academics come up with, you know, we can write books and books and tons of articles about these things and get into such detail uh, that it can be overwhelming. I think it's easy for teachers a lot of times to say, you oh, know, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to read five books uh, and do a master's degree, you know, to be able to figure this model out. So I, it seems to me what teachers, what works more for them is, you know, they, they, they like a strategy at a time, you know, or an activity at a time to try it out and they're, they're building their toolbox. And in, in my experience, most teachers don't say, okay, now I'm done with sport ed because I decided TPSR is better. So now I'm all TPSR, right? It tends to be a lot more organic for you guys, I think. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. You know, you might say, hey, I really like the idea of building seasons and structuring it that way from sport ed. But, you know, I, I'm going to do a lot more focus on leadership and the idea of transfer from TPSR. I really like that. So, so for one thing, I would say, you know, for, for teachers to, you know, be, be realistic and, and understand that we create and write about these things from a different world. You know, where, where, where theory and pure implementation and research are also important. And, you know, understand that you can pick and choose and blend strategies from different models, and that's fine you know, if you really want to go farther with TPSR, there obviously, you can read more books, and there are great articles, um, and you can push it farther, but start off by picking up some structures, some activities or strategies that you think, oh, I, I like that idea, it's not something I've done much with before, let me just try that out, so start out with testing it, it doesn't have to be with all your classes, you know, you might say, you know, yeah, the idea of shifting power to kids and letting kids help each other. That's a new thing for me. I want to try that. You might decide to just try that out with one of your classes and see how it goes. Experiment with it a little bit. And if it goes well or, or you learn some lessons and you modify it, then you can start to expand it to some of your other classes. So, yeah, that, that's a good guideline, I think. Starting small, it could be one strategy at a time. It could just be the concept of being more explicit with your affective goals. You know, like how you said you had your light bulb moment, just when you're setting your objectives for the day, just list one of those too. You know, is it respectful communication? Is it, you know, think working independently or whatever? Um, Just start to treat that like a skill. That's a baby step. And if you like it and you're having success, we've got lots of good examples um, in the things you can read. We've got research articles, but also very practical books and articles written. we have a website it's a pretty modest website but it's a resource you can go to to find out we have an annual conference and i'm going to offer that virtually this year it's going to be coming up in july i think mm-hmm. um so it's the tpsr alliance is the group and the website is tpsr-alliance.org And like i said if you go to it it's a pretty simple little website but one of the things we always do is advertise when we're going to have this conference Mm -hmm. Um, and if there are announcements and different things to share. So if people wanted to look at that, they would have a chance to come to this virtual website, sit in on some sessions, but also just have a lot of these things uploaded on a website where they can see teachers talking about how they've modified this or how they've used it or what they've done during COVID with this. Um, and then back to another thing that you had said about how teachers share with each other. I mean, I I think that's a really good thing to focus on too. Is find find colleagues that are also committed to these same kinds of ideas that have similar values to you, and you know, figure out how can you be um, a, a community of practice. You know, experimenting with these things, sharing back with each other. Um, Richard Sevright and and Stuart Robertson, they were a couple PE teachers that Shirley and I worked with, that both said, "Yeah, we you know this TPSR is really." seems like something we want to explore. So we want to play around with it and figure out how can we start to build it into our teaching, into our work. Um, We wound up publishing a research article off that in the Journal of Teaching Physical Education. But the main thing was that was teacher-driven action research. And those guys having some support from us got to be really sort of practitioner scholars and really, so there's some, some resources right there in Edinburgh. Um, and I think to keep that momentum building and get more teachers that are interested in it, uh, sharing their ideas, you know, whether you create a separate blog or Twitter space or whatever those things are, um, you know, you can help each other in that way in a real organic and practical way.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, also like what you said about starting small, I suppose it's like, if you go in and you try and apply all of those principles straight away and you just try and shift all the way to it, that's maybe what's, where it falls down and then that's where the the kind of motivation lacks and oh, I'm not going to try that. It didn't work for me. So right. I I love that. Exactly.
2: Yeah. That's where we've had uh, the teachers that wind up saying, Oh, it doesn't work. It's because they tried to do everything all at the same time. Either it didn't work for them because they were overwhelmed Mm -hmm. or it didn't work because they were given kids roles and responsibilities that, you know, the teacher hadn't really learned how to manage and introduce leadership skills to kids. Yeah. And, the kids weren't ready for it. So it becomes like the Lord of the flies, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's just chaos and you're, you're burned. And after a couple of weeks you say, that's just, that stuff doesn't work. It's not realistic.
0: I right, could, you could just have an absolute horror of a lesson when you try and do something like that. And then it just puts you off doing it again. Mm-hmm. That's yeah.
2: Yeah. Sure. sure. Yeah, and, and it's the same thing. I know, you know, sport ed is, is a really well-known worldwide. And I know it's really popular in Scotland. Um, You know, a lot of teachers are turned off with sport ed and they like the idea, but when they realize, oh my gosh, I've got to do so much planning and organizing, you know, on the front end, this takes so much more organization, they might get burnt out with it. But again, you could just start to infuse these things and test them out, you know, start small, and you may be satisfied that adding these few strategies helped your overall approach and you're happy with that. But if you really like it and you say oh i'm going to add the next piece and the next piece and the next piece you can build to it you know you can yeah. add bells and whistles as you go you don't have to do it all that first time and do it to the hilt that's that's mm-hmm. again where people get intimidated overwhelmed and it doesn't go well
0: yeah i think that's say some great advice here for anybody who's willing to not just try tpsr but any of these kind of models that we try and teach in pe to obviously improve the experiences for the pupils is to start small and don't overwhelm yourself I think that's a, mm-hmm. a good takeaway anyway
2: I
1: think yeah yeah like, this is what this is why we do the podcast Paul so people can take away like one strategy like so basically like you know so much about TPSR so from someone listening to this podcast hopefully they can take one thing away and then build on it and do their own do their own homework in their own time but this is this is a, the reason we do the podcast and get people on to talk about models and they can take one thing away and then develop it so
2: yeah. Well, and, and that's, you know, credit to you guys. It's, you're really doing it. It's you're creating a community of practice just in, in the way you're doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people, you know, t- take, uh, you never know who's going to take what away from it um, or apply or, you know, maybe be inspired to create something of their own. Yeah. Maybe the best thing they get out of this TPSR podcast is to say, I don't think that does it. You know, I don't think that's good enough. I'm, I'm going to come up with something better. That's mm-hmm. wonderful. I know Don Hellison would love that. You know, he he wasn't trying to um, whenever he would promote this model, he, he wasn't even trying to promote the model. He was trying to promote the ideas and promote putting kids' needs first and promote teachers being creative and coming up with, with new ways to always try to do better. Mm-hmm. And if some of his ideas and strategies were helpful to them in that, then that was great. But he wasn't trying to get them to sign on to you know, being uh, devoted to TPSR. He was just sharing it to say, hey, th- this is what I've developed as a teacher working with kids. And it helped me address the things I thought were most important. And if you can take something from that to help your own practice and do better by kids, then that's wonderful.
1: He's mm-hmm. given the platform to move from there. Um, so it sounds as if, like, because we get a lot of guests on talking about different models, there seems to be a lot of overlaps st- between TGF, u Sport Ed, and uh, TPSR. Don't know if you think that loose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it's just principles, isn't it? Like that can mm-hmm. they overlap, but... yeah. Um,
1: so
2: yeah, I get my my. I think there is a lot. You know, with some more than others. I think like sport ed, uh, it, it shifts a ton of responsibility to kids. I mean, you you can't do sport ed without giving kids responsibility and roles. That's mm-hmm. built into it. Um, things like adventure based learning you know, focus a lot on debriefs and 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 building transferable skills. Um, so I, those are a couple that I think have the strongest connections. I And I will say, I think one of the things TPSR, what separates it out a lot of times is that explicit focus on the life skills and the explicit focus on transfer, you know, where you actually carve out time to say, you know, this unit is, primarily about helping you be a better mover and be successful in my class. But that's not all it's for. I actually have goals for you guys to, to use these skills in other places. So it doesn't start and end with PE. And the fact that that's a focus from the beginning and made explicit, I th- think is one of its strengths. But I agree with you. There's a lot of overlap, um, you know, between these different model-based student-centered practices.
1: Thanks, Paul. I'm sure you've inspired people who's listened in to go and try some of the strategies. So moving forward, what do you think? I'm interested to get your opinion on this. Um, where, where do you see PE playing the, a role moving forward for pupils and, and students uh, post-COVID? How do you see it playing its part?
2: Well, you know, I think we, t- we talked about it a little bit before, but I think that this 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 situation with COVID has, has forced us to, it's really disrupted business as usual. Right. I mean the, the, the norms of, of how PE is delivered, what it means to people, students and teachers has not changed quickly or dramatically in the past. Right. Most things kind of people plot along it's human nature. I think to just sort of stick with what you know and repeat it, whether it works or not. Mm. and, this has completely disrupted that. Um, There's one saying I love. I I got from one of my uh, deans at the university one time. Uh, She said, it's it's a lot easier to move a boulder during an earthquake. Right. So some things like culture change, changing, you know, norms. uh, It's, it seems impossible. Most times we try to do it, but, Sometimes you wind up in a situation where things have been disrupted so much that that you you can make an opportunity out of that to to cast away some things that really weren't working for you. Um and and to add in some things that you really think are more important and better. So I guess that's my hope for the field, you know, for this the teachers and the students, is that the, the things people have reoriented to in the moment to adapt and survive the situation, you know, t- to be mindful when we go forward, when we go into post-COVID and say, hey, I actually love the fact that I built relationships with my kids way more than I ever used to. I don't want to lose that. I don't want to just go back to the way it was pre-COVID. Because this is better. This is something new I've added to, to my approach as a teacher, to the way I build relationships. And now it's going to be 10 times better because I see the kids face to face. But I'm I, I'm not going to turn that off now that we're post-COVID. Um, you know, I used to be focused entirely on psychomotor skills and psychomotor development and, and observable performance. Um, but this moment really pushed me to think about other things that I i can be focusing on with te- with students and things that are important beyond my pe class and i don't want to just forget that and turn that off now that we've made it through to the end so coming obviously from a tpsr foundation and a sel sort of perspective uh that's where my mind goes you know th- that there can be a lot of a lot of good that a good change that comes out of this post-covid
1: that's a really positive outlook to take um Every problem's got an opportunity and I hope that as well that everyone keeps their virtual classrooms up and running as well and use it for homework and tasks for the challenge of more able pupils as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And um, just my own example, you know, I'm like I said, I'm a dinosaur. Uh, I was never really on board with online teaching at the university. I I use the online platform, but pretty minimally. Um, This has pushed me to I deliver all my classes online entirely now. So I've had to do professional development. Talk to colleagues, many of them younger than me, to figure out what works, what doesn't work. Um, Trial and error, I've done some things that flopped, some things have gone better. So at the end of this, you know, I I think it's honestly made me a better teacher. When I see my student teach, my, my evaluations from students at the end of the semester, they've honestly improved the last couple of semesters because it's pushed me to be more organized up front, to be more clear and explicit and have the assessments. Everything laid out and pinned down before the semester starts. 100%. So, yeah. post COVID, I hope I keep doing that. This has pushed me to become a better teacher in some regards. Yep. And even if I'm teaching hybrid or back to face to face, I hope I don't get lazy again and give up some of these good practices that I had to develop.
1: Mm-hmm. No, no, 100%. I totally agree with you. It's exactly the same as me. Um feel as if my lessons are more focused because they're probably so well planned in advance, not to say they weren't before, but they're definitely more more organised as well, so I could definitely agree with that. So finally, lastly, in your opinion, Paul, what makes a high quality teacher in the current climate?
2: You know, I think the the things we've talked about, um, the teachers that are most successful right now, are the ones that are, first of all, sensitive to and aware of how this is impacting the kids right teachers but this was always true pre and post covid it'll still be true for me the best teachers are the ones that can see where their kids are at and what are their needs um so the ones that 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 understand that kids are struggling with motivation kids are struggling with connections a lot of kids are struggling with mental health um, so teachers that are responding to that and making that their focus, I think, are the ones that are doing the best. So if they're focusing on self-direction and self-management skills, self-awareness skills, and doing everything they can to either create or encourage kids to find connections, you know, I, I think right now, PE has been stripped down to where those are the most important mm-hmm. things. It's not just
1: about the content. It's about the social and emotional development.
2: Right. That's right. And, and as far as, you know, depending on the grade level you've got in the, the psychomotor stuff you would have been working on right now, do as much of it as you can and fit it in where you can, but it's secondary right now, mm-hmm. which to me is the really interesting thing. That's what people for a long time have, have that's how they've looked at the affective and the social and emotional stuff. Well, you know, I, I fit I that so. in where I can um mm-hmm. i do with the, what i'm able to but it's not my main focus well now it's all flipped that's become the main focus
1: yeah but i think it should always be secondary in my opinion it should always mm-hmm. be about the social and emotional development and then the skills come next or the content yeah. comes next it's about developing the person
2: yeah yeah and and the more that they can be you know working in concert with each other and and i mean that's integration right that's really holistic holistic teaching is where, where they're all sort of in a dance together and supporting each other. And you don't have to put one on hold. We've started for a lot of teachers. It's like a pendulum. It had right. for so long, it was all about psychomotor and this has disrupted things. And it swung all the way to the other end where it's almost all about the social and emotional, but there's going to come a time where maybe we come back to where there's just a good active balance and we don't see it as one or the other anymore, but that mm. we, we integrate better
1: yeah definitely that's a, that's a, that's a goal I suppose getting the balance right
2: mm-hmm.
0: hey, well, Paul, like I said at the start we finish all our podcast with a quick fire round of three questions so can I, I wait you can relate it back to t p s r if you like um but they 're just kind of random questions just at the end just for a wee bit of fun so number one, if you could have a giant billboard in your hometown, what would it say on it?
2: Um, so I'm going to steal this from, I don't know if they do this in, uh, I assume it it happens everywhere, but in the UK, if you know, the newscasters on the, you know, the, the big network news, the real big shots, the men always have a tagline at the end. They say some certain slogan. So I'm embarrassed. I couldn't come up with a better one on my own, but I'm going to steal one from this guy, Lester Holt, who's one of our big news anchors. He ends every broadcast by saying, take care of yourself and each other. Oh, yeah.
1: Nice.
2: I can't top it. I mean that, that that happens to be very TPSR. It also happens to be very surviving COVID, but it's also just philosophy wise that that fits on a billboard, and I can't come up with anything better. Excellent.
0: That's kind of like what, that's something we need for the end of. Well, we always say take care at the end of the podcast, don't we? When we round that <laughs> off, so maybe that's ours.
1: <laughs> but, but I yeah, Paul, I mean
2: it nails it. I love it.
1: I thought Paul was going to say uh, uh, stop snowing on his billboard.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's all,
1: that's all I thought are
0: going to say Paul. <laughs> right, Paul, number 2, what people or books have had the greatest influence on your life?
2: So, you know, I mean obviously TPSR and Don hellison but I think that's so obvious. Uh I won't go into that. I'll you know, I'll I'll just say that I had a a, a one of my older brothers when I was 15 invited me to come live with him because I was living at home and um, my parents were divorced. There was a lot of alcohol, depression. I was exposed to a lot of crime and drug abuse, Um, a lot of bad stuff going on around me. And I was not uh, thriving or doing well in school or uh, I was not on a very good path at all. And this brother of mine, uh, JD and his wife, Cynthia, they invited me as a 15 year old to come up and live with them because they could see that I really wanted to do something different or better with my life. But yeah, I'm a 15 year old kid. I didn't know how to make that happen. Uh, And so anyway, they, they made the offer. They had a four year old daughter and a two year old daughter at the time, and they invited a rando 15 year old kid to come live with them. But it really gave me a chance that hardly any kids ever have to have a complete clean slate and a complete reset. Um, I went from the year before in, in high school, I was getting, you know, C's and D's, average to poor grades. And as of the, that first semester with them, and for the rest of high school, I was a straight A student. And I didn't become any smarter over that summer. But my circumstances changed, my environment changed, the the support of adults in my life. It it was a 180. So I, um I just think that set me on a path you know, that changed my entire life, and it's really had an influence on my core beliefs about the importance of working with kids at early ages, the importance caring adults can have on their life, hmm. um, yeah, and, and uh, the importance of seeing their potential and doing what you can to support that. So a lot of what I do is just trying to sort of give back uh, you know, what I've been given by others.
0: Yeah, it seems like, especially because you've experienced that, you can see firsthand how much an impact the people round about you have. Yeah, your environment shapes a lot of your life.
2: Yeah, and and how easy it is, um, you know, when you eat more and realize, you know, it's very easy for people to label kids as a problem or is a, a dropout or this or that, um, and you know, that so much of what kids struggle with uh, has been handed to them by other people mm-hmm. right um, you know and, and so sometimes kids are written off oftentimes kids are written off so early in life um, through things that are no fault of their own you know it's 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 where they were born it's the family they were born into the situation they had to deal with um, they they didn't really have a fair shake to reach their potential
0: yeah no, that's brilliant it's a great story actually to share um final one then paul what advice would you give to a teacher thinking of adopting more tpsr into their pe lessons
2: yeah well i you know we've said this a few times around i'm just going to keep coming back to that idea of start small um if if a couple examples from this podcast if you look at the way you teach and you say okay i've really got a good positive climate here i'd encourage you to ask yourself do you have kids that are ready to take on leadership roles and, and to really help and coach other kids or to even to plan lessons? Do you have kids in your class that have the ability to do things like that, but they're not being given the opportunities? And if so, you know, try experimenting with that, start with what you've got to work with and think of the kids that actually could shoot a lot higher with responsible behavior, but, They've just leveled off with, with you know, the, the expectations of being busy and good and participating. Um, so I think that could be a really good way to start. Look for kids that actually could do more and could shoot higher and could be really, don't get them just to the point where they're not a problem for other people. They've got a lot to contribute. So look for the ones that have that potential and are ready to start developing and contributing to others. Um, and and play, it, play around with them. Start with those kids.
0: I think it's too easy to fall into the trap of, like you said, pitching it to the middle group and then supporting the less able ones, and just expecting the more able ones just to, because they will just do what you ask. But trying to really yeah. set the bar high and challenge them as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that's um, a good point.
1: Yeah. See, I think see the kids are the top end. That's quite good to use use as a gauge to how how you're pitching your lessons. Like I've got a class, my National Five class, who are. Got some really, really able pupils in it and always ask them for feedback on how it's going. I, I like to talk to them and make sure that I'm pushing them as much as possible so they're not getting bored.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, and, I, and that's another great example too what you're, what you're describing that you're doing right now is giving kids a voice. Like actually, you know, um, whatever age the kids are, give them chances to share their opinions and their insights and give you feedback. I and mean, that, that really changes the dynamic. It creates a more democratic environment. It, it shows them a lot of respect in that you're asking, you're really inviting their opinions and they know better than anybody else how you're doing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you build that into the culture of your program, giving kids voices, seeing them as individuals, um, sharing responsibility more and more with those who are able to handle it, that's how you gradually start building a more positive culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just bit by bit, keep adding on new ways to do that.
1: I well, yeah, if that was good.
0: That, yeah, a, a really positive way to kind of round off tonight's episode then, Paul. So just want to say thanks very much for giving up your time and coming on and sharing your experiences with TPSR and making it another addition to our podcast. So thanks a lot.
2: Well, great. Well, thank you guys for the chance. Um, you know, and, and thanks for what you're doing. You know, it, your own, your in your own practice with kids, uh, and then creating a, a positive uh, community of practice here, a virtual one, but still, it's really important work. I think you guys are doing a great job. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks, thanks Paul Puttman. Another week.
0: Another two takeaway messages. Mr Burrow, what is your takeaway from tonight's episode with Paul Wright on TPSR, teaching personal and social responsibility?
1: I really enjoyed that Paul. feel so inspired to go away and try it now, uh, this model, because it explains it really well, the benefits it can have in terms of transferring skills, um, but making that explicit, which I think you're going to come on as well. Uh, so my, my key takeaway message would be around about the... Challenging the more able pupils, the ones that you think are ready to take on leadership roles within a class, like leading a warm-up or planning a session, helping you plan a session, making sure that you challenge those pupils who you think are ready, um, whether it's working in twos or whatever, and then that frees up time for you to work with the the ones who need your support, Um, so it's a sort of win-win. Yeah. Bit short and,
0: sweet and for me, and I'm honestly. See, as he was speaking about that today, I was actually thinking about the classes that I could be doing that with. Like, I was honestly mm-hmm. thinking, it was just going through my head. I was like, Oh, I can maybe try this way. That's nice, why I thought that was quite a important message there. I was the um, same, like,
1: with the TPSR, like, thinking about classes for the behavior isn't it great, mm-hmm. and trying to create that respectful climate and then establish the social norms as you spoke about as well. But,
0: yeah, um.
1: Because some classes
0: are, are already a few steps into that, and you've already got the ground rules laid, everything, the, respect, the respectful climate's already in the class. And mm-hmm. again, it's just looking to take it that next step up and giving them those leadership skills and um, looking at the kind of top end of the, the principles. Like,
1: and, then, and then if you look at your sport ed class that you've got, that's at the other side of the spectrum. So mm-hmm. how can we be innovative and push them more as well? Yeah, exactly. Different ways to teach it. But, aye, So what was your key takeaway message? Buddy and mate.
0: <laughs> Buddy and mate. Now, I liked um, how he spoke about having a, a social, you could have like a social and emotional uh, learning outcome and your success criteria versus just having it all performance-based, like working a, not, not always taught to do it that way, but sometimes I would have had maybe a social and emotional outcome in there, but it's not something that I do often, is make it as explicit as, Paul was talking about there so even if it was talking if it was talking about like a goal setting thing if you're looking at respect and tolerance and you're trying to incorporate that within a unit of your or an activity unit it's maybe getting the pupils to set themselves a target that links to that so how can I what target can I set today to um, demonstrate respect and tolerance within the lesson whether that be I must shake my opponent's hands after every game or I must be quiet every or Try and avoid being distracted when the teacher or other people are speaking. Just some simple wee target that they can set themselves. Um, you could just put the put it up on the board. They've got to set a target to, to meet that, or just I'm just trying to. I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. Just trying to be creative with it, um, because mm-hmm. then you're explicitly drawing the focus to that, and then as opposed to just expecting them to develop these skills through sport, which it doesn't really happen. Let's be serious. Um, some of the ones that are already able to demonstrate these skills, they're they're fine with it, but um, if you're not explicitly covering it, then, and you're not valuing it, then you're not going to teach them, are you?
1: I know, I think if sometimes like, I'm used to setting up a warm-up skill practice game and then bring them in at the end and go, look, the day we worked on resilience, teamwork, communication, but you're not really... But they've
0: not got a clue that
1: they've... They don't even know they've done it. So yeah. I try to make it explicit, as you said, and do it as you go throughout the lesson. It's a skill well. like
0: anything else that they need to practice, isn't it? So I was saying you wouldn't go in and um, subtly teach the overhead clear. You would make it explicit so that they know that that's what they're focusing on. So I guess it's the same with those other types of skills, like respect mm-hmm. and communication. Make it explicit.
1: I think it'd be good to get together and go over like, the key life skills that you develop with P, and then come up with practical examples of where you think they would occur so mm-hmm. in your head you're ready to, when they happen that that's what you link it to
0: yeah you know what I, mean? I know there's just so many variables so many routes you can go down with it and no, it's just mm-hmm. it's just trying to be as creative as possible and when you get a wee light bulb moment then just maybe even take a note of it and turn the lights on turn the lights on aye turn the lights on and you're teaching and try it <laughs> right, right so. well I happy with that that's us Right. Takes us to the end of another episode. So thanks again for tuning into this episode. That was episode number 51. We are one episode away from a year of consistent recordings of OBO, which is our new abbreviation of a wee bit of everything. So thanks again for listening. We hope you took something from that, even if it's just one wee thing that you can try and implement within your practice, um, as that was Paul's advice. Start small, make it explicit, and get cracking on with it. Until next week, we hope you have a great week and take care of yourself.